Okay, so if you'll open your Bibles with me today, if you um, have one, if you don't have one, raise your hand and, and Nate will, will get one into your hand. Um, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, and stick your thumb there in Galatians chapter 4, and then open up as well to Romans chapter 8. We're going to bounce back and forth between these two chapters, so Galatians 4 and Romans 8. It's really important that you have the word of the Lord sitting in front of you in your hands. You need to be able to see for yourself that these are the words of the Lord. Um, he speaks to us through um, the word. And so it's, it's important for me to tell you, please have the, these verses in front of you. Um, so we're going to start in Galatians 4, verses, um, we're going to go 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. Now let's jump over to Romans 8. We see Paul write a very similar passage, Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, and, and we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We just pray that you will speak to us today through your word. We pray that you will transform our hearts to see you and who you are and, and the love that you have for us, Father. And we pray that in that transformation, you will give us desires to follow and to live as sons and daughters of you. So we just pray and trust that you'll speak to us, that you'll make clear to us what you're telling us in these passages, and that you're, you, Father, are going to do the work in our hearts. We love you, and we thank you, Jesus. Amen. So a main point threaded through both of these sections of Scripture I think it's pretty clear. There's a main point that Paul is trying to get us to see in these scriptures, and, it, and it's that point of adoption. It's, it's that, that use of the word adoption. Paul is using this term of adoption to help articulate, to help articulate how God the Father brings us into his family. So he's using adoption to help articulate how God brings us into his family. And, and most of you all know that uh, my wife and I, my family, we just recently walked through an adoption process again um, for the second time of, of, a little girl, of a little girl from China named as, um, Zoe Momo. And, and we just walked through this, 18 months of walking through this. And in this process, I started asking myself, why does Paul use this term, adoption, to teach believers about who God is and what God has done for his people. Why adoption? Why that? And as we dive into these texts about adoption and how Paul uses it, we quickly see that he is speaking of adoption in relation to our justification or our salvation. He's using adoption as, a, as, a, as part of that justification salvation. Justification being where God imputes Christ's righteousness to us as judge. 
Christ came, lived life we couldn't live, died on the cross, rose again. And because of that, God says, I'm going to impute Christ's righteousness in you. I'm declaring you innocent. As judge, I'm declaring you innocent based on the work of my son, Jesus Christ. You now hold his imputed righteousness. And we like that. We like to herald that good news that we are now found righteous because of Christ, in Christ, through Christ. We like that. But do we really make much of or comprehend that God isn't only a judge? Do we think about that? He didn't just declare us innocent. He didn't just stay a judge. He actually went far beyond that. These texts say that he declares us innocent as judge and brings us into his family as his children. He becomes God the Father to his children. That's way better than God the judge. God the Father. Who doesn't want a dad? Who wants to have a, a judge for a dad? I want to have a dad. Right? God the Father, better than God the judge. Thank him that he didn't just declare his innocent and tell us, no, go, go stand in the corner and don't embarrass me. No, he said, I'm, I'm making you righteous and I'm bringing you into my family. Sometimes I wonder if we don't separate our salvation, our justification from being a son or daughter of him. Kind of like, do we desire eternity through Christ but do we not desire the sonship that comes with it? Can you be saved and not be a son? Can you be saved and not bear the family resemblance? So what is this adoption that Paul is speaking of? These, these are the questions that I've been just going through my mind for the last 18 months. Why adoption? Why adoption? Why adoption? So that's what we're going to dive into today. And I'm going to cover five um, brief well, they're probably not going to be brief. Five points. Five points. And I'm going to give them to you right up front, just so you can kind of be mulling these through as we go through this. What is adoption? Biblically, what is adoption? What is the picture of adoption? And, and perhaps how is God's adoption of us better than our adoption of, of little ones? What is the cost of our adoption? What is the cost of our adoption? Three, once adopted... Do we bear a family resemblance? Do we bear a family resemblance? Four, the inheritance received with adoption. What is that inheritance? What is Paul talking about that to become heirs with Christ? And five, and I hope we can get through this one, disruption, or the term disrupted adoption. It's a term we know today here in this, in this world through it, like, worldly adoption processes, there's this term called disrupted adoption. Do we see that term, disrupted adoption, or the, or the meaning of that term, disrupted adoption, in the Bible? So that's where we're going. And I'll try to go as fast as, as the Holy Spirit will allow me to. So, point one, what is adoption? First off, we see right away that his adoption of us is a work of the Father. Look at the last word in the Galatians, in the Galatians passage Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God, through God. So we see right here that we are adopted through God, by God. This is a work of him. The biblical definition of the word through, right here in this passage, the biblical definition of this, of this word means we are heirs of God because of God, by God, on account of God, by the instrumentality or work of God. So think about this for a second. Like my wife and I, we just adopted Zoe. That was an act of us towards her. And we believe the Lord called us to do that, equipped us to do that, gave us the resources to do that. But that was like, from our human perspective, Zoe was an orphan. God said, go adopt her. So we acted. We we acted towards her. She wasn't born to us. She did not come to us through a natural birth. She was born by and to other parents who gave her up. We know this. But we acted. We intervened in her life. 
We know God's actually the one doing that, but we, this was our part in this. We intervened in her life. We went after her. We pursued her. We adopted her. This was not a natural thing. We acted outside of the natural state. And it's not natural because why? She wasn't born to us. So we have this notion that adoption is not part of the natural order. Had the fall of man not occurred in the garden, we wouldn't see adoption as needing to exist. Nobody would die. So you wouldn't have the death of parents that creates an orphan. We would be perfect and sinless, so we would bring children into the world totally ready and equipped to do this. We wouldn't feel this pole or strain of, of, man, I just don't know if I'm ready for this. I can't do this. It's just better for them to go and be loved by family. That wouldn't happen. It would be a, a state of perfection where adoption wouldn't exist. Adoption is a heartbreaking reality of the fallen world that we live in. And yet, praise God for his common grace to, to orphans that are being adopted all the time, right? Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Praise God that he, he uses his believers to go and adopt and, and his bodies to, to help support that and to equip and, and to help sin. Praise God for that. But we see this term of adoption in the Bible and we see that it's true because the very reason God sent his son, Jesus, was so that we could be adopted, Without Christ, who came because of sin, we would never have the opportunity to experience the love of the Father as sons and daughters. Without Christ, we would never have that opportunity. Sin caused the need for and the process of adoption. And Jesus was God's adoption plan. In God's economy, we are all born orphans. All of us. And what makes us orphans? Sin. Separated from the creator God, the one who has created us, shaped us in the womb, knows the numbers of hair on our heads, knew us before we were born. We are all born separated from him because of sin. Because of our sin. We are born with a sin nature, the Bible says. And because of that, we're born orphans and have no opportunity for relationship with the Father. But God, Ephesians 2 says, but God. Let's look back at here again at Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The language in these two passages speak of God having a plan. Our adoption as sons and daughters, it was orchestrated. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God timed it. Christ came at a very specific time, a God-ordained moment in time. God planned, God orchestrated. Where he would intervene and make a path for the ministry of Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. So what is adoption? Biblically, a pre-planned, orchestrated, decided act of God to save sinners through Jesus Christ. Christ. That's our biblical definition of adoption. And therefore, how is God's adoption of us, sons and daughters of him, already better than our adoption of these little ones? God had this thing planned from before the beginning. Though we were our born orphans, God had a plan to not leave us as orphans. That is good news. Our response, Delina and I's response, the McKinnon's response, our response, our human response in adoption is reactive. We are, re, we are reacting to the situation that these little ones are born into. And we're acting, but we are reactive to their situation. We're seeing them and saying, there's a crisis over there. We need to intervene. But 
Look up the definition of proactive, acting before a situation becomes a source of confrontation or crisis. Delina and I, 10 years ago, had no idea we'd be adopting. Not one, but two. We didn't know he'd send us through that twice. Praise the Lord. He does that in us, but we acted on that. Our adoption of, of Zoe and Asia was a reaction because of their situation. But God, but God, the Bible says he was acting on our behalf before we were born. He was acting in our adoption before our situation became a crisis. His plan from the beginning was for Christ to redeem us from before time. Proactive. Proactive is better. Proactive says, I have a plan, and I will work and accomplish my plan. Believers, if this doesn't give you hope, I don't know anything else that does. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That is a proactive text. He didn't look down and see us and say, whoa, whoa, what am I going to do now? That's not what this text is saying that he did. He had a plan from the foundation of the world. This is an amazing truth. This is an amazing truth of the word. This is an amazing, amazing picture of God's love towards us. That while we were sinners, knowing we would be born sinners from before the foundation of the world, he was acting on our behalf. This allows us to walk with the full assurance of Christ's finished work on the cross. He went to the cross for you, for me, because God had this plan orchestrated. This truth, this truth turns our eyes to him. This truth, this turns our eyes to him with worship, with a sense of undeservedness that says, why me? Why, why me? When I was a sinner, why would you do this for me? Why did you sacrifice for me? First John 3 says, speaking to believers, he says, why me? Because he loves you. He did this because he is a father that loves his children. And that's why in 1 John 3, he says, behold the love of the Father. This truth, this, this, this picture of adoption in the Bible should drive us to a place of worship like we've never worshipped him before. If the truth of this sinks down deep into our hearts, this should drive us to a place of, of worship. This is not about exclusivity or exclusion. That's not what this is about. This is a truth of the word that allows us to feel and know the height and depth and breadth of the Father's love toward you and me. God had a plan to adopt you. If you're in Christ today, God had a plan to adopt you. And look how knowing that, look, look how knowing that he has his, his preemptive plan, look how knowing that, that he was coming for us and planned for it. Look how, that gives us, look how that gives us hope. If we have seen and believed, repented of our sins and are following, we can know and believe then that just as he had a plan for us from before the foundation of the world to adopt us into his family, he also has a plan for us today and in our future. If he was reactive in all of this, he would be making this up as he goes. That's a scary thought. God making it up as he goes. That'd be like Del what Delina and I are doing right now with Zoe. We're making it up as we go. Sometimes it's a day at a time. Sometimes it's five minutes at a time. But we are making it up as well. We don't know what's coming next. We're reactive. God was proactive. He had a plan. And that gives us hope. Second 
Seeing and believing that God had a plan to adopt you gives you all the hope you need to endure with him today and tomorrow and for every day from here until eternity. Worship him for that. Praise him for that. Be in awe of him for that. He had a plan to adopt you, and now he has a plan to raise you as sons and daughters of his own. It's incredible. Point number two, the cost of adoption. These get shorter as I go, just so you know. The cost of adoption. His adoption of us is so much better, so much greater, so much more revealing of his love to us than ours is to our kids whom we've adopted. In that, his is so much, so much greater. He didn't have, it didn't cost God money. It didn't cost him time. It didn't cost him resources. But what did it cost him to adopt us? How is it far greater than what any cost we've borne in our adoptions? His cost to adopt us came at the price of blood. His sending his son, Jesus, who willingly chose to leave his throne of glory to die for you and me, that what? That made a way for our adoption. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Adoption today, no doubt, is an expensive endeavor. It does come at a cost to us. You, you know this. We've got several families in this body that have adopted, and you all have helped support that, raise money for that, give towards that. We know we are a body that knows the cost of adoption. And why? Why, why, why do we sacrifice to adopt these kiddos? We, we would say as believers, it's the Spirit of God working in us and through us, granting us the desires and equipping us to go and do that, and that is the biblical and correct answer. If you... If, if, if we've adopted, it's, it's the work of the Lord in us. That's not us. That's the work of the Lord in us as believers. But, but get this. Get this. So I've been to China twice now, met lots of people, a lot of adoptive parents. And many of the people that we meet in our travels in China are non-believers. They're non-believers. We're there as believers believing that this is the work of God in us, through us, to adopt these kids and there's non-believers actually doing this better than we probably are, to be honest. But non-believers adopt. Why would non-believers do this? If we believe it's the work of God in us that causes us to do this, why would non-believers do this? I think scripturally we would say that's God's common grace to these kids. That's God's common grace to these orphans that they may not be left in an orphanage and they would come into a family with parents, believer or non-believer. That's a better situation hopefully, than, than being in an orphanage. That's God's common grace. But, but I ask all these non-believers as we're traveling, as I interact with them, I'm always asking them one question. One question. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And you know what? The majority of times they answer back, because these little ones deserve it. That's what they tell me. These little ones deserve it. Non-believers say that. They adopt because these kids deserve to be adopted. And I say praise God to that believer and non-believer. Praise God that he works even through non-believers to get these kids out of the situations they're in. Praise God for that. I, and, I, and I just trust him to make good of that in these kids' lives. And coming to America, maybe hearing the gospel, things like I mean, praise God for that. But that's what non-believers will tell you because these kids deserve it. But here's what astounds me. Here's what astounds me when you start to look at this. When we look at God's adoption of us, God's cost to adopt was the death of his son, and we don't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. The Bible says, actually, we deserve death. We deserve eternal torment because of our sin. And even more than that, the Bible says, 
There is nothing we can do to deserve it. Nothing. Everything that we do apart from Jesus Christ working in us and through us is but a filthy rag to the Father. There is nothing we can do to deserve it, and we didn't deserve it. We don't, get this, we don't deserve this love the Father has given us. In his adoption of us, we don't deserve it. And yet, God decidedly did it. He decidedly did it. And at what cost? At the cost of seeing his son brutally beaten, mocked, stripped naked, nailed to a Roman cross, God in the flesh endured the most painful and torturous death imaginable so that you and me would be adopted into his family. Would you sacrifice your firstborn child to adopt another? That was a question I've had to wrestle with. Would I sacrifice Hunter to bring Zoe home? Let alone, would I adopt a child that doesn't deserve it? Would I sacrifice Hunter for a child that doesn't deserve it? I mean, you can't wrap your brain around these questions, but this, this is where my mind is. Welcome to the mind of me. God didn't have to send his son to die for us. He chose to. He willingly sacrificed his son so that you and I could also be his sons and daughters. I know in these texts, ladies, it says sons of God. I just want you to know that includes you. There's other texts in the Bible where we men get to be the bride of Christ, so today you get to be the sons of God. So let's, you know, I just want to make that clear. When he's talking about sons, he's including you, sisters that are in Christ. In 1 John 3, again, John is calling us to behold what great love the Father has given us. And I'm asking you, have you beheld that lately? Have you thought about the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf, that God's cost to adopt was blood? Have you thought about that lately? When was the last time you contemplated that? When was the last time in your prayer time were you contemplating that? When was the last time you took communion and really contemplated that? When was the last time you considered the love of the Father towards you? Point number three. The family resemblance. God does not just adopt us. He doesn't just stop there. Okay. It actually gets way better than him just adopting us. His adoption of us grants us a very likeness of him. He gives us a family resemblance through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Or Romans 8, verses 14 through 16, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He not only made us sons, he not only made us daughters, but he has given us, implanted in us, a very piece of himself. The Holy Spirit of God. When, when he adopts us, we're different. We're changed. From the inside out, we're changed. Because of the Spirit of God. See, this is the thing. Asia and Zoe, though they're my daughters, they're my daughters, they're never going to look like me. They're never going to share in my character traits. Delina says amen to that. But that's just the truth, right? Asia and Zoe, they're my daughters. They're my daughters. They're mine. But they're never going to share in my character, tra character traits, like Hunter or Jaden will, right? Hunter or Jaden, they came from my DNA. 
They are wired to be like me in a way, in a way that Asia and Zoe are not. Because they came from my flesh. All right, probably mostly Delinas, but I played a part in that too, right? So, um, but Hunter and Jane are wired to be like me in a way that Asia and Zoe are not. But that is not true of our adoption by the Father. His adoption of us makes us new. We are new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. The book of John, the Gospel of John chapter 3, actually describes it as a new birth. He makes us new as if we were never orphans in the first place. He rebirths us into, he rebirths us into the family. This is what he tells Nicodemus. We must be born again. That is a work of the Holy Spirit in us through God. Through our new birth, we receive the spirit of the living God inside of us. And now we share, now we share in the family resemblance. We are connected to God the Father like biological children are connected to their bio parents. It's the Holy Spirit of God in us. He brings us into a connected relationship with him. Through Christ, because of Christ, we have that. And we know that this is true. We know that we're sons. We know that we're daughters of God because the Holy Spirit in us testifies to this truth. Look at 8.16, Romans 8.16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit in us is shaping us, convicting us, molding us into his likeness, sanctifying us. All of that is proof that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit in us enables us to cry out to God as Abba, Father. In the Aramaic, the word Abba there is actually Aramaic, and it means daddy. It actually means daddy. To cry out to him as daddy. Children of the world won't cry out to him, Abba, Father. Because they can't. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit is what makes us different from the rest of the world. It's the Holy Spirit of God in us that makes us different. So we now, with the Holy Spirit, bear the family resemblance. And how do we bear it? What does that mean, bear it? How do we look different? We follow. We follow. We listen to him. We read his word. We believe. We obey. We repent when we fail. And we get right back up and start following him again. Those are the marks of the Holy Spirit in us. That's what the Holy Spirit in us is bringing out. We follow. We listen. We believe. We obey. We repent. And we keep going. This is what his spirit inside of us is doing. This is how the spirit of him inside of us is allowing us to feel his love in such a tangible way. And we feel his love in such a tangible way that we follow. We don't do this out of compulsion. We don't do this out of compulsion. We don't do this because of some outside force working against us. We do this because of his love and because we are a part of him through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us that is saying, he's your daddy, go after him, follow him, obey him, love him. Look what he's done for you, go get that. That's the Holy Spirit inside of us, convicting us of sin, repenting, I'm sorry, help me. Okay, I'm back on the road. I'm going after him, I'm going after him, I'm going after him. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't follow out of compulsion. And this is why, this is why then you'll hear Rory, Blaine, Aaron, myself, we'll, we'll preach, we'll preach to you that to follow Jesus is not burdensome. It's not burdensome. It's not burdensome to love and follow and obey Daddy, Father, God, Creator, God. That's not a burden. 
We obey because he loves us, and we obey because we love him, because we have seen him and know him, and because we have become known by him. Do you respond to that? Is your following and belief a response of love or compulsion? Have you considered this? Have you considered these truths? Are you marked with the Holy Spirit of God today, Christian? Point four, our inheritance. Our inheritance. Galatians 4, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. In Romans 8, verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The adoption of God the Father of us comes with an inheritance. Look at this. In, in the Romans, comes with an inheritance likened, likened, like the very inheritance of Christ himself. This is not unseating Christ from who he is and what he did and on his throne of glory. This doesn't unseat Jesus Christ as the firstborn, the son of the father. This doesn't unseat him. But look, the Romans passage says, it, our inheritance that we receive likens it to the very inheritance to that of Christ. This is like saying, this is like God telling us, I'm not going to hold anything back from you. As my son, you get all of me. Like Christ has me, you get me. You get all that I'm about. You get all that I have. You, as my son and daughters, are going to enjoy me and all that I have for you now and for all eternity. That's what our inheritance is. Here's the problem. I think we often overlook what that inheritance really is. What is the inheritance? What is the scripture speaking of when it says inheritance? What is it speaking of? Crowns, streets of gold, mansions on a hill. Those are all man-made. I mean, we, we see in the word crowns. We see that. Streets of gold, mansions on a hill. I don't know. You know what I think the inheritance is? I think biblically, he, Paul and John are trying to draw our eyes to in this. The inheritance is sonship. We get sonship. We get to be children of the living God for all of eternity. God is our inheritance through Christ. Who cares what blessings we get? Who cares about crowns? Who cares about anything we can think up in our human minds and relate it to whatever heaven may be like? Who cares? Those things miss the point. They miss the point. We get him. We get God. God above all gods, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We get him. He is our inheritance. We get him as Father, Abba, Father. Is, I ask you, Christian, I ask you, is there any other inheritance worth striving for? Is there any other inheritance that could, that could be as important or as lovely or as glorious as that? Is there anything else? Should we direct our eyes to the blessings of God or should we direct our eyes as God being the blessing? What ultimately and foremost do we get to share with Christ? Likens it, the inheritance with Christ. What ultimately is that? God as our Father forever. That's what we share with Christ. Point five, last point. This, this, in, in the world of adoption, there's, there's a term called disruption, disrupted adoption. And what that means, for those of you that, that may not have heard that, but what this term disrupted adoption means to us here is that a family has gone through the process to adopt a kid. Gone through a process to adopt. 
18 months, two years, three years, four years, five years, paid the money, traveled, done all of that. And they come home and they change their mind. It's called a disrupted adoption. And this is heartbreaking to see. It's heartbreaking for these kids. And I gotta believe that it's heartbreaking to these parents too. I gotta believe that. But this is the fallen world that we live in, right? This is the fallen. We are not, we are not so far removed from this. This is us apart from Jesus Christ. This is us even in days in, in weak temptation. This is us, right? But they, they go and they adopt, they bring them home, and, and they decide for whatever reason, and we cannot judge that, we cannot judge that, they decide that they're going to put that kid back up for adoption. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon. There's a family right now that's pursuing a little girl in a disrupted adoption. Family in our body right now. It's not uncommon. Praise Jesus that he's put it on their hearts to pursue this little girl. But it's not uncommon. So, but here's where it really hit home for me. This is what really hit home for me in those first couple of days. I was in China, and this is what really hit home with me. I was in China with Zoe those first two days, and the adoption agency kept asking us, Delina and I, this one question. Are you sure? Are you sure about this? Do you know what you are getting into? They even said, you can still change your mind. They said that. Are you sure? Are you positive? You can change your mind. And I appreciate that they do that as hard as that is to walk in because they're trying to say, like, you got to know what you're getting into. But it's nonetheless a really tough thing to think about. Are you sure? It's not much different than when doctors in, in natural birth, like, you know, you do the pre-pregnancy testing and say, oh, well, your kid tested positive for this. You want to abort? We got asked that in our first pregnancy. Delina's first pregnancy. We got asked that. That was with me, Hunter. Um, <laughs> we got asked that. Are you sure? A blood test came back incorrect, but the doctor sat us down and said, this is what it's looking like. You want to abort? I thank Jesus for his work in us to say no. But this is not much different. It's, heart, it's a heartbreaking reality of the fallen world that we live in, for sure. But here is where my hope, here is where my strength, here is where my faith and my love for God has really grown in the past several weeks as I've been thinking about all of this. So I've been contemplating this and reading the word from this picture of adoption. Ephesians 1 says this was planned from before the foundation of the world. Your adoption, my adoption for those in Christ. This was planned. The Bible doesn't ever say that God struggled with his decision to adopt. It simply says that he did it. All we see is that this was and is God's Plan. This was his predetermined will, our adoption. Romans 8, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to comple completion. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom we were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And more than all of that, more than all of those supportive verses... Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb, resurrected from death. That tells me, that tells us, that God's plan and purposes are accomplishing what he said he would do. The price he paid was the blood of his son. He knew exactly what he was doing. And what the sacrifice of Jesus Christ would accomplish. 
His adoption of us is done with a knowing of us and who we are in our past, who we are in our present, and who we are in our future. Therefore, we ought to know and believe God has seen this through to the end. Do you believe that, Christian? And if he has seen this through to the end, what is there for us to fear? Trial, tribulation, suffering, times of blessing, times of pouring out. What, what do we have to fear if he's seen this through to the end? We don't need to fear of a disrupted adoption from the Father. He's seen this through to the end. So I ask you, are you walking in the sonship? 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, Have you believed in vain or are you walking in the sonship? Are you holding tight to the Father like a son? Are you holding tight to the Father like a son? Or have you believed in vain? And so on close, worship team, you can start heading up here. I ask you today, brother and sister, do you bear the sonship today? Do you bear the sonship? Do you bear the family resemblance? Does the world recognize you as having been adopted by God the Father? Does the world recognize you as having been adopted by God the Father? When was the last time you contemplated, looked upon, beheld, as John writes in 1 John 3, the love of the Father towards you? When was the last time you beheld that? Are you abiding in his love? Are you striving for, reaching out to, chasing after the Father whom has called you by name? Do you follow like a son crying, Abba, Father? Is that you, Christian? Are you pressing into the Holy Spirit inside of you, walking in the Spirit, endeavoring to be in the Spirit of God, bearing the family resemblance? Or are you turning back to the slavery of the world that once held you, as Galatians 4 verses 8 and 9 says? How are you suffering, Christian? Romans 8 verse 17 says that we are sons of God so long as we suffer like Christ. Are you suffering well? In times of suffering, are you beholding the love of the Father and holding tight to the promises of Christ? Are you suffering well knowing that Christ also suffered? In your suffering or in your temptation or in your sin, are you turning to the Father who loves you and is saying, come to me. Come to me, daughter. Come to me, son. Look at me. You have me. You have all of me. Come to me. I'm it. I'm all you need. Is he enough for you? Is he enough for you? I think some days, I think some days what's real of me, what's real of me and probably real of many of you, is we want the inheritance, but we don't want the sonship. We want the inheritance, but we don't want the sonship. We don't want the walk of faith and endurance and obedience that comes with the inheritance. We don't want that. Just give me eternity, but I don't want anything else. I get fearful of the passages in the word that warn us not to quench the spirit living and dwelling inside of us. I get fearful of those passages because, as Paul is saying in both of these passages in Galatians and Romans, it's the very spirit of the Father in us that causes us to cry out to him, Abba, Father. It's the work of the spirit. So I'm afraid to quench the spirit because if I'm quenching the spirit, I don't have the power in me to cry out to him, Abba, Father. Are you quenching that today, brother, sister? Or are you pursuing the world? What an inheritance are you beholding upon i want that spirit i need that spirit 
I want to be able to cry out to him, not only in praise, but I want to be able to cry out to him in desperation as a son who needs his daddy. I need that. I believe you need that too. Run to the Father today. Repent and believe. Walk as sons. Behold his love. Walk in the new creation that God has birthed you into. Believe in his plan to adopt you. And therefore, he's planned to see you through as sons and daughters. I pray today, I pray today, we desire, I pray that we would desire to walk as adopted sons and daughters. I pray that for us. I pray that for me. I pray that for my wife. I pray that for my children. I pray that for all of you. I pray that his love so transforms our hearts that we would cry out to him, Abba, Father, and we would pursue him as such. And lastly, and lastly, I pray for those of you that are in here today that, I, those of you that are in here today that may not be in the sonship. I pray that you would hear this today I pray that you would accept Christ's finished work on the cross for you. That you would hear and respond to the invitation of the living God to come into the family. I pray that you will repent of your sin, believe upon Christ, and be birthed as a son or a daughter today. I pray that for you. Let's worship him. Let's cry out to him. Let's behold the love of the Father that he has adopted us into his family.